Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Shaw. With me is our co-host, John McGregor. Hey, John. Daniel, how you doing? Doing good. How are you? It's been a while. Yeah, I know. Hard to uh, get the two schedules to match up here. Yeah, that's all right. Pretty soon, we won't have to worry about too much because we'll be in uh, probably the same or a time zone that's only off by an hour or two, if it's off at all. Won't be long now. Time's running out for me here in Okinawa. Yeah, and I'm getting excited. I can't imagine how easy or how much easier it'll be. We're not, uh, was it 13 hours or something? Yep. Uh, well, now we'll know, you know, the hard parts behind us. Everything else then's all, all gravy. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Cool. This show, John wanted to talk a little bit about appendix carry because he hates you people who carry appendix carry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think it was uh, anything like that. But just we're going to talk about a little bit about, uh, you know, I guess some some, some trends he's seeing. And I think, uh, and I've seen him as well. I'm not just going to put all this back on him. You know, I completely agree with it, what we were talking about the other day when we were just chatting back and forth. And then I think in the future, we've talked about some other stuff we're going to talk about that uh, some people may not like because there's another trend that's going on. And we're going to try to set some things straight or our perception of what is correct. Uh, we're going to give that to you. Uh, for today, what are we going to do, John? Well, I uh, I did want to talk about uh, appendix carry. I didn't want to just kind of do it solo because I wanted to bounce stuff off at you because, you know, to be honest with you, i I don't know. I guess I just want to make sure that I'm not misunderstanding the whole thing. But Yeah, it sounded like whenever we were texting the other day that you were basically looking for a sanity check. Like, am I taking crazy pills or is this happening? And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of like, what am, what am I missing? Why? Uh, it, it all comes down to, you know, to cut to the chase. It, it seems like, you know, you got your, you know, your basic firearm safety rules, but it seems like appendix carry gets a pass and i don't know why that is um i mean i can speculate i don't know if it's you know as far as you know fighting with a handgun there's really nothing that's changed in you know the last hundred years or something i mean we can think that we're developing new techniques and so forth but i mean basically it's it's something in your hand that you point and pull the trigger you know i'm wondering are we you know looking for something new and that's why we you know, accept stuff that on its face violates the, you know, I don't want to get too sci-fi, but, you know, almost a prime directive, you know, not you know, get to those two absolutes of firearm safety, you know, your muzzle management, your trigger finger discipline. You know, it's not just um, just because of, you know, a, a podcast I listened to recently because, I you know, I do listen to Bob Main's show, Handgun World show, and he was talking about vehicle carry. He was explaining, you know, the different carry methods and so forth. And, you know, rightfully so, he pointed out, you know, when you're carrying shoulder, you're carrying cross draw, if you're not careful, you're going to end up sweeping your, you know, if you're right-handed, you're going to end up sweeping your left arm and so forth. But then he goes on to, you know, to explain how his solution is the appendix carry. And, you know, in my head, I'm visualizing appendix carry in a seated position how how is your muzzle not pointing at yourself? And you know, Bob did end up coming on, I think, a subsequent episode and, and talked about that a little bit and admitted that yeah, he is. And there's no way around it. You know, the muzzle's pointed down at your at your leg. And and again, it's not just him because it's something I've been seeing lately. I you know recently one of the Facebook groups, you know, the videos go around and there's somebody talking about appendix carry and 
everybody seems to, you know, kind of want to dance around the issue that, you know, you're pointing the muzzle at yourself the whole time. And generally what happens when I see people explain this is they start talking really slow about keeping your finger off the trigger. Like that makes it that they're going to be more serious about it or something. But, you know, bottom line, you know, you can look at your, your four basic firearm safety rules. And as far as, you know, something catastrophic happening to yourself, you know, they're designed to be, you know, redundant safety systems. You've got your, you know, your muzzle management, you know, don't point the muzzle at anything you don't want to destroy. And you've got your, keep your finger off the trigger until you're on target and decide to fire. Now, those are your, to, you know, to my mind, those are your absolutes of firearm safety. Things like treat the weapon as if it was loaded. That just kind of makes sure that you're doing your absolutes. Making sure that even if you know the weapon's unloaded, you're still not pointing it at yourself and you still don't have your finger on the trigger. And the, you know, the safety rule about um, be sure of your target and what's beyond it, now that really doesn't help in this kind of appendix carry situation. So it really comes down to those two things, muzzle management, trigger finger discipline. To me, it's like, you know, I don't skydive and so forth, but my understanding is they have a main chute and a reserve chute in case something goes wrong. And the firearm safety rules are kind of the same way. You know, you don't point your muzzle at anything you don't want to destroy, but you don't put your finger on the trigger until you're on target and decide to fire. So you need kind of two of those things to go wrong before you're going to do something catastrophic uh, in most cases. Again, discounting the fact that, you know, you're shooting at a bad guy and you shoot somebody that's behind him. That's another safety rule. But as far as shooting yourself, you got to do, you got to violate those two things. And it seems like appendix carry, you've already kind of, you know, basically decided I'm not taking a reserve shoot on this one. I'm just going to rely on the one shoot. And you're just thinking, I'll be careful about the way I pack my shoot and that's going to be good enough. And so to me, it's, you know, it's just taken a risk that is really not, doesn't need to be taken. What are your thoughts? I will preface this by saying I don't do appendix carry. I don't like carrying appendix. One, I... I don't want an explosion that close to a very important part of my body that I really would like to not have explosions happen near it. Somebody told me a long time ago, always protect your peepers. And uh, there's an old salty gunny. Always protect your peepers and always protect Jim and the twins. I kind of took that to heart, so always protect those things. Then, yeah, the, your femoral arteries right down there. You get shot in the leg, and it's uh, a nasty place. But I think I said I was going to play a little devil's advocate because in a lot of ways we carry. There's people who, there's a lot of holsters out there that have these serious inward cants where the gun is, is kind of out a little bit and it's pointing inside toward the leg. You know what I'm talking about? I think Blade Tech makes a couple of them that are... Uh, offset drop leg or something. I think it's, yeah, something about offset drop leg holster. Yeah, it's kind of kind of offset. Yeah. And um, just the, where the, the pistol gr or the, the grip is actually out further and the muzzle is canted in toward the body. Toward the leg there a little bit, and I don't like those holsters because you know, drawing and reholstering becomes a little bit more dangerous. It seems like those are kind of getting a buy too because people seem to love those. Uh, maybe they're not as popular as some of the other ones, but you know they're out there. You know I usually carry uh, in the summertime a small on my back, uh, kind of like it right over, right over to the right side of my right above my right butt cheek. Now if I drop down and take a knee uh, with that right leg, then I could very easily be muggling, muzzling my calf. 
So I think mm-hmm. these things happen every once in a while. And it's just, uh, in some ways, maybe it's something we just can't avoid unless you're just constantly thinking about it and you don't buy a holster that does that and then you don't do appendix carry because that's definitely sitting down. And I don't, I don't like appendix carry sitting down in a vehicle at all. I like it on my side and just I'm going to have to adjust my holster a little bit when I sit down. I just kind of pull it up a little bit. So, and then whenever I start to get out of the car, I'll just kind of turn on my, my left hip a little bit and put it back down where it's supposed to be in there. And if that's how I'm carrying on my, my side. Yeah, I go on long trips, so carrying inside the waistband sometimes gets a little uncomfortable in the vehicle. And if that happens, I'll just uh, basically tuck the gun in between uh, the parking brake there and uh, my seat to where I can still draw. It's tight enough on the holster so I can draw, and it's still in a holster. Uh, I'll do that when I'm carrying a vehicle. So I really don't see any advantage, and I do see that one uh, disadvantage of appendix carry. Now, I'm sure we'll get a lot of emails saying this is why it's great, and, and that's fine. I would love to hear why it's uh, better and, and get sold on it, but just for me, it, it doesn't work very well. But uh, that is my argument. I think we uh, may end up muzzling ourselves a lot with a lot of different holsters. Yeah, I get you know, that is true. Uh, primarily carry, and I mean, when I say primarily, there's really only two places that uh, that I'll carry is you know, straight off the hip and you know, three o'clock position and outside the waistband, or if I go inside the waistband, it's about at four o'clock you know, for kind of commonality of training so that I'm not, you know, patting myself all over the body trying to figure out where I'm storing the gun this time. It's pretty much always right there. But I've had good luck with it. I've, you know, I've taken classes uh, where, you know, shooting out of vehicles and being able to, I can still access it, you know, with a seatbelt on. It's just something you, you practice. But, you know, you are, you know, you are correct. I mean, even with the, the inside the waistband, you know, I'm not sure if in a normal standing position uh, that I'm absolutely not muzzling any part of my body. But, you know, it, to me, I mean, logically, it seems like if, you know, if, if that's going to happen, I, I think I'd rather you know, take a shot that's going to or have a shot go off that's kind of graze my butt as opposed to something that's going to go down into my femoral artery. I think you know, that's going to make a kind of bad situation. Obviously, any unintentional discharge is a is a is a bad situation. But and I, you know, I think you're right. I think uh, you know the reason um, you know what you were saying about you know you get your normal inside the waistband, you take a knee or something, you might you, know, you might laser your calf or whatever. I think that that's absolutely true. There's nothing that we can do other than to leave the guns in the safe to make ourselves absolutely safe. But Again, you know, I think it's... But we can't choose a way to carry that's going to minimize any of that lasering, i.e. staying away from appendix carry if you're always muzzling your thigh in appendix carry. Yeah, and and to me, it's kind of, um, you know, the, the arguments for it. I mean, a couple of the arguments that I hear are that, um, well, you know, first of all, just the fact that uh, if I'm appendix carrying, I'm just going to ignore the, the whole muzzle management rule for the sake of carrying an appendix i don't know imagine you're you're teaching one of your classes daniel and you know you're teaching something like uh you know i was thinking about let's just say seated firing positions and they're in a they're in a chair and they're addressing a target off to the left if they come out of their hip mounted holster and sweep across their legs every time and their answer is well you know i'm I'm keeping my finger off the trigger i'm just ignoring my muzzle management are you going to are you going to proceed with live fire? Or are you going to you know, kick that person out of your class? 
Because I, I, yeah, they're going to do that dry, and they're never going to get yeah, to go loud doing it. And I, I see exactly where you're going with this, and that would be a safety thing that gets someone kicked off a range if they were training to do it, firing it after sweeping their lower body as they were going across. But if they were carrying originally an appendage carry, they'd be okay. And yeah, that that's doesn't make sense, does it? No. And the other the other argument that I hear is that it's an advanced technique. So. Um, Apparently, if you're an advanced shooter, you know then you're then you're okay to to carry an appendix. But you know, I mean, a couple things there. I mean, I've run into plenty of people who have shot for years and years and years, but you do the you do the same stuff over and over. You know, it's kind of like there's two ways to get experience. You know, you can keep learning and learning for 20 years and be a experienced 20 year shooter, or you can learn stuff for a year and just keep repeating that same thing. And basically you've just got the same year of experience over and over. Uh, I've had plenty of, or, you know, run into plenty of people that shoot who, um, you know, they might've been doing it a while, might've been doing it for a long time, but that doesn't mean they're, they're doing it right. I consider, you know, I, I'm not the, you know, the world's greatest shooter or anything like that. I mean, I've, but I've been a farms instructor, you know, since the mid nineties and been on a SWAT team since the late nineties. But I mean, I can tell you, I don't see that as justification for why, you know, you little people who are just learning or whatever, you guys have to maintain muzzle discipline and keep your finger off the trigger. But, but I'm an advanced shooter. I don't have to do that because I'm so high speed. You know, I, I just, I just don't agree with that argument at all. Oh, me either. Not at all. Dude. That's, that's when you're getting ready to have an action. I think when we talked about safety a while back, uh, one of us brought that up too. It happens a lot to the newer shooters and the older ones that are very complacent. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I got that. And that, that word advanced, that's a catch word that, uh, you know, here at, uh, at where I work here, training units getting ready to deploy and training units whenever they're, they're going on exercise and stuff just to teach them machine guns and mounted ops and all the different things that we do here. Uh, urban environments mount and stuff. Uh, we've changed the names of all of our classes, and when we're talking about offering something or someone needs our training support to help them, we call everything advanced now. <laughs> uh, it's advanced mounted ops. It's advanced this. Whether it's the most basic or not, we call it all advanced because we just we ran into so much trouble uh, with basic this and, and doing this and everything, and then leaders like, well, I don't need to do that because I did that once. And, you know, some, you know that mentality, you did it once, so now you're just suddenly an expert and you know everything about it because you got a two-hour class, never mind the fact that we have uh, over 70 years' experience combined or 80 years' experience combined doing it in our little small unit that we have of nine folks. Actually, we're probably close to more like uh, 150 years' experience combined. Uh, so in order to kind of get rid of some of that stuff, we started just calling everything advanced. Like basically selling it as if you've never got this before. This is advanced stuff. This is the this is the good stuff that you want. But really, it's the same stuff that they need to know. Uh, but it just sells a little better, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've um, you know kind of seen that on you know a little bit on the uh, concerned citizen uh, side. You know, somebody that's just caring for self defense is you know no you know, and I understand it. You know, if you're paying, you know, and these classes are expensive. You know, you don't want to pay for a class that's too easy. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, well, you know, I already, you know, the purpose of this class is to, you know, kind of refine holster techniques. Well, 
I already know how to do that. I mean, how hard is it to reach down and pull your pistol out of your holster? So I'm going to move into the the intermediate or more advanced stuff. That's just, you know, an observation. I don't know if that really applies anything to appendix other than the fact that, you know, advances, like you said, it's, it's not very precise. I mean, in, it depends on who's saying it. Yeah, there's no standard. You know, you you get to just choose. All right, I've been, you know, I've carried for, I don't know what a year, and I haven't shot myself yet. So now I'm I'm an advanced shooter. You know, I don't I don't know if that's right. Definitely kind of a double standard. I, I don't I have to completely agree with you. I don't think anybody deserves to or should be making that argument. Well, oh, I, I just carried because I'm more advanced than you are, or or you you newer guys don't do this. You know, that, it reminds me of like the old redneck saying, you know, the famous last words, watch this. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> or like the, the uh, ATF agent or the DEA agent who uh, stands in front of the class of all the kids that was just boasting about how he was so awesome and he was the only he's firearms trainer with all these weapons and how he's the only one in this room qualified to carry a Glock 40. And then he caps himself on the leg. You know, it's just, those are your famous last words. <laughs> you think you got it. You think you're advanced. You're about to get bit. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I just want to touch upon is, um, you know, like I said, every every explanation I've seen of this is basically saying, well, it's okay because of trigger finger discipline. You keep your finger off the trigger. But so... You know. So pulling out my weapon and muzzling a whole crowd of people or muzzling a firing line or here's the evil IDPA thing or I'm shooting IDPA and I turn around and I muzzle the back of the range where everybody's standing around the ready area, uh, that's fine as long as my finger's off the trigger, right? Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's my point is that, uh, you know, trigger finger discipline is it's easy when you're, you know, consciously thinking about it and nothing bad is happening. But, you know, the reason that, that we need in my opinion, you know, redundant safety systems is, you know, trigger finger disciplines a little, might be a little harder to do, more important when you're, you know, having some kind of stimulus that's going to give you a startle reflex that you're not expecting. Or, um, you know, generally when, you know, when we teach trigger finger discipline, we're, you know, we're explaining you've got startle reflex, you got to worry about it, you got postural disturbance, you know, you start to fall and, and generally what you're going to do is you're going to grab for stuff. And if that pistol's in your hand, finger might end up on the trigger. And then you've got kind of interlimb interaction where if you're trying to do something vigorous with your opposite hand, there's a tendency for that primary hand to want to to want to uh, tighten up as well. So, I mean, we teach, you know, finger is off the trigger up on the frame of the weapon. So if any of those things do happen that, you know, we're going to press into the frame of the weapon. But, but again, it's, you know, to me, it's, you know, you can make all kinds of analogies. It's, you know, it's like jumping out of a plane with no reserve chute, you know, riding a motorcycle with no helmet. It's, you know, stuff you can do, but if the purpose of you carrying the gun is for self-defense, why, you know, why are you increasing your risk? Well, you can go to uh, gunfightercast.com, click on blog, scroll down, and find uh, my post there about how to not shoot yourself. And there's a video linked in there embedded in that, that post with Tex Grebner shooting himself. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have probably seen this video. If not, go there and check it out and watch this video. Uh, just linked through YouTube, or you can just Google on YouTube, Tex Grebner, G-R-B-N-E-R, uh, shoots himself, and you, it'll pop right up. He was drawn from a holster, and his finger went on the trigger, and he shot himself. Watching some of his videos, he don't. I think he thinks he's a little bit more high speed than he is, uh, a little bit more advanced than he is. But you know, that's a different story altogether. My argument for this thing we're talking about here would be 
if you're going to go ahead and put your finger on the trigger by accident, if something crazy is going to happen and you're going to actually fire a shot while you're drawing from the holster, at least do it from a holster that doesn't make your pistol point at yourself. And like you talked about earlier, with the redundancies, by having those two redundancies, one, your weapon's holstered in a way where it's not pointing at your body, and you plan on keeping your finger straightened off the trigger. But like you said, you have these sympathetic muscle groups and other things that happen. Uh, as you're drawing that holster, very quick, out of that holster very quickly, under stress, uh, and let's be honest, how many people out there have had to draw their weapon under stress? How awesome do you, are you going to be at it? How do you know how you're going to be that awesome? You know, the best you can do is train. But until it happens, you don't know how crazy you're going to be in the head and how much that cocktail is going to mess up your body. You don't know until it's happened. So keeping that in mind, I think it would be a good idea to choose a holster, choose a carry method that keeps those redundancies in place and doesn't remove one. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, we can talk about kind of the expected, you know, your uh, startle reflex and all that stuff. But until you're until that bad guy in this case is is coming up to the car or whatever and you're trying to you know your life's in jeopardy and you got to get that pistol out now you know you could have trained that you know my finger stays off the trigger until i'm on target and decide to fire but you know when it looks like you know that the bad guy's right there and the rounds are start coming in you know when is your finger really going to go on the trigger are you going to under stress you know gets in there quick because you're trying to you know you want to get those sights on target and start pressing. If it gets on there too quick, you know, and you bad may, things can happen. You may practice a lot sitting in your vehicle drawing from a pinnacle carry, and you may be great at it, but I bet you're probably practicing under some of the best circumstances. Like you don't have any keys in your hand, or you don't have coffee in one hand and uh, a sandwich in the other, or your wife's not in the store and you're not looking at the newspaper and it's folded out very widely in front of your face. Uh, and now you have all these other obstacles in the way, things that you have to get out of the way or drop or set down or spill coffee on yourself to get that gun out faster. There's so many little things that could come into play that could really change what you think is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you're practicing this stuff, I mean, you know, hopefully you're in a good uh, training mindset. You're clearing your pistol first before you start your training. You know, that's not the way it's going to be in the real world. You're not going to have that you know, okay, I'm going to clear my weapon. I'm going to get myself mentally focused. I'm going to think about the technique I'm going to use and the safety that I'm going to employ. You know, unfortunately, it's just going to be, you know, right now. And, and that's what you're going to have to work through. And also, you know, what are you wearing? And when you're training, are you out there in 5'11s and a polo shirt? And now you find yourself in the wintertime, whatever else you have on. So many variables that can get in the way and just the, if we, we just got to do whatever we can do to stop freaking shooting ourselves man it's we're we're talking about all this stuff and talking about gun rights and you know saving the second amendment as if it needs to be saved you know it's our god-given right and we talk about all this stuff i might have a rant coming on here but then we're doing stupid stuff like go for like it. a husband and wife i read on the news this is on the top of yahoo like they go to a safety class and the husband shoots himself in the hand and it goes into the wife's leg you know, I don't know the I don't know them. I don't know their instructor. I don't know why there was ammo in there. Uh, I don't know this guy's experience level and his wife's experience level. But they were on break and they shot. He shot himself in the hand and went into her leg. They both had to go to the hospital. They're both okay. But this is the kind of stuff that sets us back. And you know, we are skyline right now. And I say we. I'm talking about us, responsible gun owners. Responsible gun owners. We're not the ones that's going to screw everything up for everybody else. 
It's these people out here doing stupid stuff like that, killing an innocent person or hurting an innocent person, making a bad decision when it's time to use deadly force, making a bad decision, or when it, when, maybe when it's not time to use deadly force, making a bad decision safety-wise. You know, this is what's gonna this is what's gonna kill us in the long run. Just doing stupid stuff like that. You know, the legislators could do could do some things, but we could be our own worst enemy. And of course, it's not everybody, but there's always that few that just have to screw everything up. That just think they're advanced, or or they just don't know, and uh, they don't know enough to know what they don't know, so they don't you know get any training. You know, they and you know I'm a firm believer that the Second Amendment is your concealed carry permit. You know, we I think we should all be able to just carry concealed personally. I think that we have that God-given right, uh, that God-given right solicited in the Bill of Rights. But I think it's our responsibility, and we've said this a thousand times, you got to go get trained. And you're not, you're not going out cutting the grass here with the, you know, a relatively somewhat possibly, in the worst case scenario, dangerous machinery. You're dealing with something that can cause death indiscriminately to anybody under even the best of circumstances. So we have to be trained and train ourselves and, and learn how to use it properly and be responsible. We've got to stop shooting ourselves and shooting other people and having these accidents. I mean, I, my last duty station, something happened. I don't know the whole story. I think me and Aubrey talked about it once when he was on. It shot a little kid, you know, killed killed his own child. I don't know what that would do to, to me if it happened to me. Tarantia, I'm not going to stop carrying guns, but that's always in the back of my mind. I will do everything that I possibly can to be 100% safe when he's around, uh, either one of my children or whether they're not around. Those are the habits that we have to get into, and we can never, ever compromise those habits. We can't vary from those habits. We can't do anything. We have to stay true to those safety rules, I guess you could say. End of rant. Yeah, I, I mean, just to... And just to add to it, I mean, there is stupid out there, but you know, sometimes it's not it's not stupid, it's just ignorance. You know, they don't know what they don't know. And you know, that's why, you know, as you know, an instructor and you know, just somebody that, that likes shooting and so forth, I, I do kind of take it seriously that um, you know, all the time I'm not doing stuff that I wouldn't want other people to do. I mean, I, I wouldn't have a problem at all. You know, bringing my daughters to the range and you know letting them work out of a uh, you know belt mounted hip holster or even you know inside the waistband um, but I, I certainly wouldn't want to see my kids you know running appendix and having muzzles pointed at themselves and so how am I going to justify that if I'm doing it myself and you know that's that's kind of the stuff I worry about is uh, you know not just in my situation but you know, I mean, think about it. If you're one of those, you know, advanced shooters who, you know, can justify violating safety rules because, you know, you're going to be very careful or you're going to talk slow when you when you describe it. You know, what's that doing to the all the new shooters? I mean, you know, is that just I think it just gives them the idea that, yeah, this is OK. This is accepted. You know, sure, they say that they're absolutes of firearm safety, but you know, they're not really absolutes because I get to break one if I want because I still have another one to kind of rely on. You know, I, I don't know if that's stupid or ignorant, but not a good idea in either event. Well, is your risk outweighing your gain with all the options and ways of carrying out there, all the different types of holsters, all the different things you could try? I, I don't think you're, you're really you're really gaining anything that you couldn't gain in some other way uh, that you could do it safely. I posted on Facebook yesterday about how to clear a pistol. You know, we, we take it for granted sometimes, John. We're talking about shows we're going to do. 
And I guess I'll go ahead and make this little announcement now. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're co-authoring a book right now. And uh, it's basically to for the, the new uh, gun owners out there and some of the old ones to reinforce some things. And we decided to focus basically, uh, make this a book of firearm safety. I think that's something that's very, very needed out there. So that, that's kind of our plan. But I posted on Facebook that uh, how to clear a pistol because I was looking for a SIG P226 and looking at reviews on YouTube and other websites because I'm about to get that P226 Elite Dark Threaded Barrel. And I, I got a picture. It's on my, it's my screensaver on my laptop, and I drool every time I turn my laptop on because it's probably the sexiest-looking pistol I've ever seen in my life. I saw one YouTube video, and then I saw the same thing about you know an hour later. Somebody else doing the same thing. They said, right, we got to do a quick safety thing because we're always going to follow the four firearm safety rules and we got to make sure we have a clear weapon. So to clear the weapon, both of these gentlemen dropped the magazine just by hitting the mag release, letting it fall on the table, and then, without even looking in the chamber, racked the slide three times very quickly. Both of them did not rack the slide all the way to the rear either. You could tell it wasn't, even, it wasn't quite as far back as it could possibly go. But the racking it three times very fast to them was clear. That is dead wrong. You think that all those people that you make fun of and we laugh at and we think are stupid because they're like, I don't like Glocks because you got to pull the trigger to clean it. Well, if you can't clear your weapon, then you probably shouldn't own a Glock or any pistol. If you, if you can't do something as simple as that, you, you got to know how to clear your weapon. Racking it three times uh, and then pulling the trigger to, op to, to disassemble your Glock, eventually you're going to have a round go off. You know, hopefully you don't, but that is not clearing a weapon. That's setting yourself up for the future. Uh, you forgot to drop your magazine, or uh, brass didn't eject because the way it went into battery, the extractor's just not grabbing onto it, and they actually never released the slide. They just went back and forth, so it never went home completely on its own power, and it never went all the way back to the rear to achieve its maximum power and to extract anything that could possibly be in there. Uh, may have, if there was a round chamber, could have just been pulling that round out and putting it right back in, not going back far enough to even extract it. You're just asking. You're asking to get bit. And that's just dead wrong. Yeah, there's really never, never reason to have to rush through, uh, you know, your visual and physical check to make sure your weapon's loaded. I mean, that's an administrative procedure. I can't think of any circumstance or situation where... We don't clear our weapon when a bad guy's in front of us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you certainly should be thinking of other things at that point, but that's one of those things. And, you know, I might've said it before, um, the way I teach it is, you know, we do a visual physical check and then we just kind of stop and we do the same thing again, just to make sure that, you know, we haven't gotten to the level where we're being complacent and we're just kind of going through the motions, you know, our body's just jerking that slide to the rear three times, but I'm not even looking anymore, you know, stop and come back to it and make sure that the only thing we're focused on is visually and physically checking the chamber in the mag well. Yep. So let's see. Uh, we've probably upset all the appendix carry people. It's all right. Well, you know, if, you, if we did upset you, not going to apologize. This is, you listen to Gunfighter Cast because you want to get, you know, John and, and mine's perspective and, and views on things. And, you know, this is what we have on appendix carry. Take it or leave it. Hopefully, we'll at least get you thinking and maybe trying something else. And if it does work for you, great. If it doesn't, you know, you know, do what you got to do to make sure you, you know, continue to carry that weapon on you. It, the other thing, too, is, you know, as far as this topic, the reason I didn't want to just because, uh, you know, Daniel, I've been having uh, issues getting on at the same time. And I thought about just kind of doing a solo thing. But, you know, I am, you know, I would like to get some input on this. 
you know, am I not seeing something here? Yeah, absolutely. What what am yeah, basically what I want to know is what am I missing? Why does you know basically why does appendix carry get a pass? Is what I'd like to know. And if maybe, you know, maybe you've got the answer. You know, and I'd certainly like to hear it. And, you know, I, I know that there's probably an application or two where you know, that's, it's a good thing or, you know, it's, you know, if you're undercover or something, it's, it's mandatory or whatever, but, you know, just like, you know, shoulder holsters, they have their issues. Yeah. But there are certain situations where that might be the best tool. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to come across as saying that, uh, you know, I'm right and you're all wrong, you know, please, you know, show me the error of my ways, you know, cause I'd like to understand this better. Cause there, there are people out there that, uh, it, it's not just people that I think are ignorant. There are people out there that I respect highly as instructors and, uh, you know, firearms carriers, but they're using this appendix carry. And, and I just, you know, again, I'm repeating myself, but I must be missing something. Well, you know, even if you're out there listening, you want you're, you want to send an email, and maybe you don't, or you don't want to, but you don't have all the answers, and you don't, you, you can't just put into words a complete justification for why a penis carry is awesome and it is safe. That's fine, but if if you could, maybe you have some input out there that uh, you're able to safen up your penis carry. Maybe you found a certain piece of gear or a holster or, or something or a certain way to position it uh, when you're seating or, or seated. seated. Or just something like that that you could share with us so that we could give back to the listeners. So maybe we're not answering all of our questions or, or correcting uh, me and John, but you, you may be offering something that could uh, help somebody else out. So don't don't hold anything back. True. Fully expect to get some uh, some negative emails, but this is fine. We still love you guys. You can you can give us negative yeah, emails. Yeah. If you didn't like the show, we'll refund you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll give you your price. money back. And also, you know, Daniel, you should be expecting that uh, since you talked about your next pistol acquisition, you know, from all the, the Glock people, see now that you've turned to the dark side. Well, I'm not selling a Glock to buy it or anything. Uh, I'll, I'll maintain my Glock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I'm not going to go that far. i got to have Old Faithful. Always. There you go. And uh, I don't think my wife would allow me to sell her pistol anyway. Oh, um, off topic, uh, I guess, are we done? You anything else, John? Yeah. No, I think we've uh, beaten that into the ground. Been doing a few things with the Facebook page. People have been responding to stuff. I put a video up there that I did like a year and a half ago. It's been on YouTube forever, and, uh, you know, it's got like 15,000 views or something, which is really not much in YouTube land. And uh, I put it on Facebook, and it was getting shared. People laughing at it and commenting and stuff. With, uh, it's a good time. And I was like, man, this stuff's been up. I've, I've only announced that, that I, we have a YouTube channel like a thousand times on Gunfighter Cast. And uh, apparently nobody goes there, but whatever. Uh, it's still fun to make videos every once in a while, just not fun to edit them. But the uh, uh, wanted to still invite you to come join us on uh, Facebook and uh, see what's going on there, keep you up to date. Also, if you've been getting in conversations with your people who are on the fence about gun rights and carrying firearms and such, and you, you talk with, with co-workers, and uh, I'm sure the Trayvon Martin cases came up uh, time and time again. And as it does with me, I end up somebody talking to me about it quite often. If you want to educate yourself a little bit on the stand your ground law, uh, as well as the castle doctrine, go to Stitcher Radio and just Google Cato Institute. Uh, or I'll put a link in the show notes here. Uh, Masada Ayub was up there at the Cato Institute, and they had a, a panel discussion 
uh, about the stand your ground law in Florida. And it was uh, answered a lot of questions and some gray areas that I had in my mind that I didn't have it all figured out with the stand your ground law. And just from listening to that, now I will be able to articulate you know, it's finer points and what's good about it and uh, why it exists and why it needs to continue to exist uh, in a conversation with anybody. So uh, definitely put that up so you guys can go check out. Uh, it's like uh, maybe 50 minutes of audio or something, a few different speakers, but uh, really good. You got any announcements, John? I got one more, but I'm saving it for last. You know, you're talking about the Facebook uh, stuff. And uh, if you're not on Facebook, then you, know, you might have missed uh, the latest product rollout that uh, apparently we've been experimenting with is the uh, the Gunfighter Pro sweatpants, <laughs> which I was I was kind of surprised to see. I, I didn't know those were in development. Well, there's a guy in uh, right down the road here, right across the pond in China. And uh, we were emailing back and forth. He spoke, uh, I mean, well, he emailed really good English. And I'd emailed him back and forth for a while about making these sweatbands. And uh, I got the prices, and I looked around for all these other prices, and they seemed like they were pretty pretty good prices. And it sounded like in his website, like, this stuff's legit, man. They're high quality. And I thought I was going to get the actual whole Gunfighter Cast logo on this thing, just a little bit smaller than what you saw with Stan wearing. And these things come back, like, stitching missing all kind of stuff just like the worst quality sweatbands ever <laughs> i had to pay like 150 bucks for these things but then after that they're going to be quite che- a lot cheaper but i paid 150 bucks for like 12 or 10 or 12 wristbands because uh, i saw some idpa shooters and ipsic shooters and stuff shooting with sweatbands on so i was like that'd be cool get those out just give those away to people you know i'll buy them and, and just send those to folks and they can wear them and people can ask them about them. people who wear sweatbands out there to shoot i guess to keep the sweat off your hands uh, when you're out there in the heat, so your your gun's not so slick, and uh, yeah, that didn't work out. They were they were garbage. Hmm. So I sent them. To, so I sent them to the gun dudes. Yeah. Besides the, uh, I mean, the money lost and the initial investment. I mean, how much did it cost you to get Stan to model them? Because that must have been uh, a significant fee as well. Well, he's not a cheap yeah. guy to deal with. You know, he, he's he's yeah, definitely a I mean. capitalist. No, actually, he just sent me that email joking that he needed those in a full body sweatband so he could be completely bulletproof or something. Without his permission, I put it on Facebook, of course. Excellent. That's the way you got to do it. So I got nothing else. So I guess you're, uh, you said you got something else to. Uh... Basically, there's a, um, there's a lot of wounded warriors and veterans that come back from Afghanistan, Iraq, some from still Vietnam and uh, other places. We have a lot of heroes. Uh, that have lost limbs, and most some of these have lost multiple limbs. Uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation uh, raises money to build houses, these what they call smart houses. It's like a lot of automated stuff. So that these multiple amputees, I mean, these are the most severe of the wounded warriors. Not, I mean, they, we're not talking about PTSD. Uh, we're not talking about, um, you know, lost a hand. We're talking about multiple amputees that just cannot take care of themselves by themselves. They gave it all. Uh, except for their lives. You know, they just can't do it. Um, well, the Gary Sinise Foundation builds houses for these people. And I just heard on the news today here, our local Armed Forces Network sta- uh, station, that there's going to be a jogathon on May 3rd. I know it's short notice. And, you know, they try to get people to pledge money and stuff and send money. And I'm not asking anybody to do anything like uh, to send money. I'm going to write this up on uh, GunfighterCast blog so everybody can see exactly what to do. And I'll point you to the Facebook page that I made for it that's not quite finished yet. But what I'm asking is, based on our statistics, GunfighterCast has anywhere between 8,000 and 10,000 listeners. 
some of these listeners don't, it's not immediately as soon as we put a show up, but they always trickle up to around the 10,000, 11,000 range. So I think it's a pretty safe estimate that we have around 8,000 to 10,000 listeners. $500,000 builds one of these houses. That's a lot of money. Uh, there's I mean, huge donors and stuff that help out the Gary Sinise Foundation. If you don't know who he is, uh, Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, uh, he does a lot of stuff. Very tight, tight family, ties with the military, and he just does a lot of stuff all the time for uh, Wounded Warriors. Just an awesome foundation, awesome guy. Uh, he's always coming out uh, somewhere. He was here not too long ago. Uh, he would be here for this, but he's uh, he just recently got in a car accident. But uh, what I'm asking is for you to go on that Facebook page, and you can find it through the Gunfighter Cast blog. Uh, I'll link it here in the show notes, and I'll put it all over the Gunfighter Cast page. I'm going to try to get the gun dudes involved. I'll put it on the network forums. I'm going to hit up George Hill and his blog because he has a lot of people, some other forums that I'm on. And I'm just going to try to get the most generous um, pe- group of people in the world, in my opinion, is, is the gun uh, culture people, the, the people that listen to this show. Uh, and I think we're very in touch with the military and uh, very appreciative of that. You can give however much money you want. You can go straight to the Gary Shanice Foundation and, and give a donation. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell anybody else. But I will ask you, if you are going to pledge for me to run, go on to the Facebook page and pledge how much you're going to run. And this is just going to be per mile, not doing it by time. It's a 24-hour jogathon. These people are planning on stopping, taking breaks, then going and running some more. Um, I'm going to go out there and run straight. And this is how many miles I can run without stopping. And just to help keep you or get you to, to give a little, to pledge a little bit more money, I'm going to wear my plate carrier out there and run. So, you know, I've got a heavy, cumbersome plate carrier on running. So uh, you're probably not going to get three to five miles out of me, maybe. And that's that's a big maybe because I'm a lot of shape. You, you put a pledge on there just so I can get an idea and I can I can show the, the organization that's doing it up here uh, because uh, – when I called them about it, they thought it was just awesome. Like, wow, dude, you can get you got contact with that many people. They thought that was great because you know these people. It was basically uh, a few uh, Air Force officers that put this thing together with the foundation and a little organization that they made here. So uh, I really wanted to help them out and help out this foundation to help out those uh, uh, severely wounded warriors. And after you make this pledge, you know I'm going to run and, and use my Nike. Uh, thing to show you how many miles I ran and you can see how, how far I went and the distance and everything uh, if you decided that you, you know money got tight you had a bill and you don't send the money I will there's no way for me to know or check on it this is complete honor system you pledge on the Facebook page and then after you see how many miles I ran you click the link and you go there on your own and you send the money to the Gary Sinise Foundation that's pretty much it uh, don't put my name in it don't put gunfighter cash you don't have to put anything like that uh, if there is any blocks for that, just go on there and do it. It's a complete honor system. You can uh, tell us and share with everybody that you did or how much money you gave if you want or uh, not. And if you don't want to pledge publicly, you can send a private message and pledge. Uh, or like I said, you can just go on there and give them money by yourself. It doesn't matter. The goal is to make money for them and uh, you know, give someone a good home for the rest of their life. That's pretty much it. I might have missed it, Daniel. When, is, when are you going to be doing the run? May 3rd. Very, very short notice. Just heard about it today. Didn't get a lot of advertisement around here. May 3rd. All right. And you're going to run this wearing only a plate carrier? Is that what I understand? Well, I'll have clothes on. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, right. yeah. I didn't know if that was part uh, of your scheme for attracting attention. No, I don't think they'd let me. You yeah. know, it's uh, that's probably not going to happen. But no, I'm going to go up there in the morning. It starts at 7 and it goes to 7 the next morning. And I'm going to be up there early in the morning. And, uh, you know, I'm going to run as long as I can. And, you know, if I see a lot of pledges out there, $5, $10 a mile, something like that, 
uh, is it, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, really push myself and hurt myself. I want to keep going to make that extra dollars for them. You know, it's, uh, I think it'd be, it'd be fun for me. And I think it's for an excellent cause. I mean, I got, I got a lot of friends that, uh, they don't have limbs anymore and, you know, a lot, lot that passed away and it's, uh, it's an important cause and, you know, it's, uh, definitely something that we should do to get involved with. I wish I had the money to say whatever you guys donate, I'll match, but that's not going to happen because uh, that wouldn't be possible. And no telling how much money you guys are going to put up anyway. But I hope you guys get involved in that. I'm going to try to get this show out like right away and so uh, so you guys can, can get hear about it. All right. Well, that's all I have. Yep. That's all I got. Hope I didn't depress anybody after I pissed them off and you pissed them off about a penis, Gary. <laughs> well, that was all my idea, so don't let that influence your uh, donating decisions to, to Daniel and his run. Maybe we should have had a more lighthearted show since we're asking for, to, for people to give up money to go somewhere yeah. instead of uh, making them angry and then asking them to help somebody out for a cause. Yeah, that would have been a good idea about uh, 49 minutes ago, I think. Yeah, we should, we should rethink our marketing a little bit. <laughs> all right, well, yeah, that's all I got, John. Thanks uh, for hanging out with me and waking up at 4.30 in the morning to come uh, to come do Gunfighter Cast. No, it's a good time, Uh you know, it is tough getting together, but uh, definitely want to uh, get the shows out a little more often. So hopefully we're found a rhythm again. Yep, hope so. All right, well, it's always fun talking to you, John, and it's always fun giving you, the listeners, another episode of Gunfighter Cast. Until next time, Gunfighter Cast out. Be safe.